Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The largest minority population in the country is Latinos, making up 17% of the nation's 323 million people. In Pennsylvania, the Latino population is growing. It stands now at about 750,000. Latinos in Pennsylvania face challenges in language, employment, education, and health care. With the Latinos becoming a major segment of Pennsylvania's population, non-Latino businesses and other institutions are facing challenges too. The Latino Connection is an organization that is working to bridge that gap. Joining us this morning is George Fernandez, founder and CEO of the Latino Connection. Mr. Fernandez, welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning, Scott, and buenos dias, and thank you for having me. Thank thank you for being on the program. But let me tell our listeners at home that if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, i got to ask one of the most basic questions of all. I saw that uh, you have an event coming up in a few weeks where one of the topics that will be discussed is Latino versus Hispanic. There are many people in this country who don't know what term to use. So how do they decide, Latino or Hispanic? You know, Scott, that's that's a question that I get each and every single day, not only from uh, community members, professionals, but also our clients, um, especially when it comes down to um, even their marketing. Uh, Hispanic versus Latino is part of one of our workshops. It's called Latino Marketing 2.0, uh, where we discuss uh, Latino marketing strategies. Um, and the right term to use, in my opinion, because it really it boils down to an opinion, um, is Latino. That's why we're called the Latino Connection. Um, Hispanic is more of a uh, government term uh, to um, put together into one big pool, into one big bucket, um, all the different types of Hispanics and Latinos from all around the world. Um, But the word Hispanic um, actually comes from Spain. Um, You Mm. don't hear of the Hispanic Grammys, correct? You hear of the the Latin Grammys, right? Right. Um, But you're starting to find uh, many employers, even in the government forms, um, you're starting to find Hispanic slash Latino. Um, But till today, uh, many individuals still use the word Hispanic. See, I went to a broadcast uh, conference. Now, this was years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, that it it was national. And uh, this discussion came up. And at the time, what many people were saying is that west of the Mississippi River, you often heard Latino. East of the Mississippi, you heard Hispanic. (laughs) Why that was the dividing line, I have no idea. But I have noticed that uh, here, even in Pennsylvania, you hear the term Latino most often. And so we will use Latino throughout our conversation today. What is the Latino Connection? What do you do? Latino Connection, we're a small marketing communications firm. Uh, We specialize in marketing strategies, and our goal is uh, twofold, uh, where we want to educate the business community in reaching that Latino market, helping them come up with the different marketing strategies, and uh, also our twofold mission is to educate the community at large. So connect them to the resources that they're looking for, uh, mainly uh, jobs and careers. That's really our goal. I don't want to talk about all those things in, in specifics, but I, I mentioned in the introduction that uh, the Latino population in Pennsylvania is growing. We're at about 750,000. My guess is that's from 2014. It probably is even higher today. It is a little higher. Probably, mm-hmm. yeah, higher than that. 
Um, now, that puts Pennsylvania 13th in the country in the number of Latinos living in the state. What attracts Latinos to Pennsylvania? You know, that's also part of one of our, uh, that's part of our workshop, Latino Marketing 2.0. Why are Latinos choosing Pennsylvania? Uh, Latinos are choosing Pennsylvania um, because we are home to 25 Fortune 500 companies. Um, if you look at our nearby states, if you look at our nearby states like uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Ohio, Virginia, Rhode Island, I don't, I, I, I don't look at Delaware because um, their cost of living is is is, is very similar to ours. Their um, wages are very similar to ours. Uh, Pennsylvania's wages are great. The cost of living is great. Um, and when you look at this, those six states that I mentioned, it's the the exact opposite. Uh, wages are very low cost of living is very high. So, you know, very often my phone rings at the office and I'm finding myself talking to Manuel, who owns a small bodega corner store. Okay. It's like a small mini market in New York and he's paying $3,000, $4,000 for rent and a now month. a month. Right. And now, you know, his business rent is going to scale up to 6,500, almost double. Okay. Well, he just can't afford that. So, you know, he just happened to find Latino connection on, on Facebook. He calls us and says, Hey, I'm looking to relocate somewhere to Pennsylvania. Um, perhaps let's just say Allentown. Okay. Allentown Lehigh Valley is a very high Latino populated area where there are so many resources, right? Um, whether it's uh, small grants, um, it's so easy to get a, a, a loan from a local financial institution or the local SBA chapter. Um, there are more opportunities here in Pennsylvania for Latinos than there are opportunities in, in the states like New York, New Jersey, and so on. Yes, yeah, see, I even have to cough during the <laughs> during the program. <laughs> we we always joke about the cough button here. We have for guests. <laughs> we have people who play with it from time to time. Anyway, uh, what countries, what areas are uh, Latinos who are moving to Pennsylvania? Where are they where were they coming from? Other than other states, as you just described. Oh my gosh, so many uh, from Dominican Republic, uh, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico primarily. You're starting to see a very large number of Puerto Ricans that are moving to the states. Um, the cost of living is just very, very expensive in Puerto Rico. Um, a few months ago, I got to visit Puerto Rico, and there was a water drought where um, the, the, the government in Puerto Rico actually shuts off the water valves, and you only have water for two or three days, and then they turn the water back on. Um, you know, you don't typically run into those types of issues right here in little Pennsylvania, right? right? right. But, you know, most Latinos that, that are moving here, um, and I'm kind of going off the question here because... Um, what they're looking for is that small home feel that you get here in Pennsylvania, right? But they still want to be close to that big inner city. So the D.C., the Baltimore, the New York, the New Jersey, you know. Um, a few weeks ago, I was interviewed by um, your colleague, Ben Allen, and, and we, mm -hmm. talked ab we talked about uh, one of our programs called Ola Harrisburg. And, um, you know, I, I, I sometimes take on that New York accent, and every Latino that I know has a family member, you know, in Jersey or New York, <laughs> right? Um, and, and it's not that far from here. You know, when my mom travels, travels to Dominican Republic, I, I drive her to JFK. You know, it's like it's like getting in the car and driving to New York. It's just another thing. It's not even something you think about. Um, but Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, um, uh, Ecuadorians, uh, people from Brazil, 
uh, El Salvador. I mean, we have an intern right now at the office. Her name's Roxanne. She's from Mexico. So say, I thought Mexico was one of the biggest, uh, you know, I- importers, if you will, of of Latinos. Absolutely. Yeah, you have a very large number of um, Mexican families that live in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, they're easily attracted to Pennsylvania because uh, there's a lot of people that are willing to hire right now. Like right now, I, I cannot tell you the number of the corporations and the businesses that I have the opportunity uh, to work with that are saying, hey, George, I can't find bilingual uh, talent. I'll give you an example. Faulkner Honda reached out to us last year and said, hey, we need to find a bilingual car salesman, uh, a bilingual car sales rep. Can you help us? And we sent them a few resumes. And, you know, today they have a bilingual sales rep. Uh, we're starting to get the same phone calls from, you know, some major other corporations in the area. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, that that kind of goes against what a lot of people probably think in that, uh, you know, we've heard that the unemployment rate amongst minorities in Pennsylvania is higher than it is amongst Caucasians. I'm not sure what it is with the with the Latino population, but it's good to hear that you actually have employers seeking you out, seeking Latino employees out. That's good to hear. You know, um, when I when I started Latino Connection um, last year, I left my full time job. Uh, my full time job was at Highmark, so I was responsible for traveling across the U.S. and educating uh, thousands of their Latino members around their health benefits. And um, you know, when, when I when I left Highmark to focus on Latino Connection full time, I never thought that seven to eight months later, uh, Latino Connection would be where we are today. Um, you know, for me, I'm happy that we're servicing the uh, business or organizations, but also the individual market. Individuals are coming to us and saying, here's my resume. Can you help us? Um, Can you help us? uh, Can you put me in contact with someone that needs my talent, my expertise? You know, so we're getting a little bit of both. And um, it's it's perfect for us to kind of mesh them together because that's exactly what our clients are looking for. What are your clients looking for? I mean, we know that bilingual, being able to speak both languages, both Spanish and English, is uh, a real benefit. But what are the clients, the employers, the businesses who are coming to you? What are they looking for? You know, it's very interesting. Many of them are looking for different things, but it ends up being the same exact thing in my book. Uh, Many of them are looking for the Latino marketing strategies uh, because you can't go out there and say, hey, uh, Latino community, come out and be our member. Come out and be our customer. But then internally at your workplace, you're not yet ready to service them. For example, let's say a local credit union or a local bank may not have uh, Latino uh, tellers you know, um, ready ready to service a, a, a Latino population that starts coming in. So for us, it's very important for our clients that we get to have a seat at their strategic table and we get to help them uh, look at their internal resources and their um, internal processes, right, uh, to maximize and leverage how they're going to service that population. Once that is done and taken care of, then we help them come up with the Latino marketing strategies, which is part of that workshop that you and I first started talking about. What is that? By the way, uh, Latino Marketing 2.0 is a workshop that many corporations call us and say, "Hey, I want you to come out. I want you to come onto our site and host a workshop." Um, 
Capital Blue Cross, uh, Capital Blue in Enola will be hosting a Latino Marketing 2.0. I believe it's the third Wednesday in March. Uh, the event should be up on our website here okay. very soon. Over so the about next a few month days. from now. Yeah, about yeah. a month from now, yeah. and it's completely at no cost for professionals to come out, um, enjoy, you know, free snacks on behalf of Capital Blue, and um, you know, really learn uh, the the different marketing strategies in reaching this Latino market. All right, let's go to Billy in Waynesboro. Billy, you're on the air. Yeah, so I want to know if a um, health illegals as well as documented uh, people. Okay, thank you very for your call. He was talking about whether uh, you, some of your clients uh, are undocumented coming into the country that you work with as well. You know, we do get a few phone calls every now and then. They don't typically identify themselves as someone who's undocumented or an alien. Uh, sometimes they'll just say, uh, hey, George, you know, I have a little more challenges than the typical candidate that you may be helping. Um uh, I may not be willing to share my social security number or I may not have a, a, a social security number. I can give you an example. A lot of the folks that we're getting resumes from currently have an active case with USCIS, Immigration Naturalization Services. Uh, many employers will hire individuals that currently have some type of proof of documentation that they are allowed to be here. Um, unfortunately, I can't, you know, most of my clients, like the Capital Blues or UPS um, or... Um, um, you know, some some national corporations like SMX and Amazon, um, you have to have a social security number in order to be able to work for them. Um, you know, typically uh, for those um, undocumented folks that we get that I am not able to help immediately, um, kind of over and turn them into a position or a job very quickly, I typically refer them to um, Career Link or uh, the local Latino Hispanic American Community Center with Gloria Merrick. You know, um, typically they have a little more resources uh, to find um, than what I do. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing the challenges facing Latinos in Pennsylvania, one of the growing populations in the state. Our guest is George Fernandez, founder and CEO of the Latino Connection. We welcome your questions and comments. Call us at 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. All right, George, we talked about employers that are clients of yours, businesses reaching out, trying to uh, uh, recruit some Latino employees. What about the other way around? My guess is you probably have more people, Latino people, who are saying, I need help in finding a job, finding employment, starting a career. What about those people? How do you deal with them? Uh, we get uh, a few of those a week, um, actually a, a little bit more than I'd like to be honest with you. Um, you know, if you if you take a quick look at our magazine, uh, Latino Connection magazine is statewide, and uh, we distribute in over 35 counties currently between 10 to 15,000 copies. And we hope that the magazine becomes that vehicle to let Latino candidates know who's hiring now. So kind of like a help wanted. Thing. Correct. Yes. Um, you know, so if if you look at the magazine in front of you, you know, you have Faulkner Honda who's still hiring. You have, um, you know, Keystone Human Services. You have Capital Area Head Start. You have Benefit Vision, uh, you know, Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency, 
um, I mean, the, the story just goes on and on. Hershey Park, CM Prey Tax in Lancaster, Capital Blue, Capital Blue Cross, you know, they are actively looking for that Latino candidate. And, you know, I'm blessed to be able to connect them with um, on-the-spot resumes, you know, um, I, I, I sometimes laugh because I think the stars are aligning for some of the candidates that send us their resume. Sometimes I end up having a conversation with like an executive from like a local bank or a local hospital. And then a few days later, that resume just happens to land right on my desk with something specific that, you know, that corporation and or that business is looking for. Um, since last year, we've been able to make some very good connections and get people on the spot, you know, careers and, and jobs uh, with some of the major uh, local employers in the area good jobs good jobs good jobs and when I say good jobs I mean a great job with benefits for family with health insurance with 401k and very much more to offer college tuition college reimbursement um, you know what I want for those Latino candidates is to find a job and or a career uh, make a career out of that job you know grow into something more um, Sometimes um, most Latinos, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. They get stuck, you know, where they're at. Um, most recently, I met a young gentleman who is a cashier at a local gas station, and he's fully bilingual, speaks Spanish, um, reads Spanish, uh, speaks English, uh, writes, reads English. I mean, fully bilingual, okay? Uh, young gentleman, I believe he's uh, 19, 20 years old. And I just said to him, here is a copy of, of Latino Connection magazine. There's about two or three ads in here. And those employers would literally love to interview you. I can tell you that right now. And uh, he applied for a job um, last week, and he has an interview tomorrow. You know, so he's going to go from making $8 an hour to making $13.25 an hour. He won't have to pay for college anymore because this employer uh, gives you college reimbursement uh, You know, within 90 days. Um, he currently doesn't have health insurance, will have health insurance, You know, and will just have different benefits that he doesn't have um, at his current job. You know, Nothing wrong with working at a gas station, right? But there are so many other, uh, other opportunities for those young bilingual professionals out there. They're just not connecting them. You know? The the people who are your clients who come to you looking for jobs, are they all bilingual or do you have some that just speak Spanish? Uh, many of them, most of them are bilingual, um, but some of them do speak very little English. Um, you know, and those are the ones that we would most likely uh, refer to a um, manufacturing, you know, type of company that also offers benefits. Um, so we do get both. But it does make it more of a challenge if the, the, the person that is looking for the job only speak Spanish. Absolutely. But you know what, Scott? When you look at, you know, Allentown or Lehigh Valley, they don't even have to speak English in a lot of those businesses. There is not, there's literally not a single business in um, Lehigh Valley, Berks County area that doesn't employ someone who just speaks Spanish and or a little bit of English. Um, many, many people in those areas just need one person that speaks Spanish and very little English to get by. You know, so it's more like a supportive team. Someone speaks English, somebody else speaks Spanish, right? But the Latino population is so large in that area that almost every single small business and or large employer has to have someone that speaks Spanish because the population that only speaks Spanish is very large. In fact, here's a question that's related, but it's on the other side. Linda asks, where can someone go in this area to learn to speak Spanish? 
oh my gosh, there's a few resources. My favorite one is my favorite community college, Harrisburg Area Community College, where uh, some of my employees and even my husband currently attend classes there. They offer English as second language classes there. Um, for those that don't want to commit to the um, the long day class or a few hours a day, they also offer workshops. Um, other uh, nonprofit organizations um, offer English as a second language classes. Um, I'm not sure if they're offering them currently, but I know the Latino Hispanic American Community Center uh, offers those classes as well. Um, you know, several organizations have come to Latino Connection and saying, hey, George, do you have a professional that could potentially teach um, English as a second language internally at our workplace? You know, so we've, we've been able to make those connections uh, for someone who's a teacher that can go inside of a workplace and actually teach, you know, their um um, Spanish-speaking employees a little more English, or even vice versa. You know, it's 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 a uh, it's not a request that we get very often, but we just got a request about three weeks ago from a major corporations in the area. One major corporation that said, "Hey, George, we have a very large number of English employees that want to learn a little bit of Espanol. Uh, can can you have someone that can come to our office, you know, once or twice a month and just teach us a few key words um, in how and when we go to service Latinos? So it's 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 it's." Great. Growing. The phone's ringing, the emails are coming in, and uh, the requests vary, but they end up being almost the exact same thing. Quickly, since you mentioned the magazine, you brought a copy for me, and you say it's distributed throughout the state. What about an, uh, an email, excuse me, a, uh, a website address where someone can go and learn more about the Latino Connection, maybe find some of these employment opportunities? Absolutely. So www.thelatinoconnection.net, T-H-E, latinoconnection.net. Sign up for our newsletter all the way at the bottom. Uh, we're starting to get to the point where we're attending uh, national and international conferences. I'm off to Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, to attend a very large conference uh, at the beginning of March. Uh, some conferences in D.C., uh, some conferences in Orlando. So, you know, for me, I'm looking to bring a lot of great business education and resources to Little South Central PA. Um, you know, there's so much. I've lived here for 18, 19 years, and the opportunities that I've been blessed with, I know that many others should be blessed with also. So www.thelatinoconnection.net, sign up for a newsletter at the bottom. I'll tell you very quickly, tomorrow, every single month, we do a Latino Connection luncheon. So it's more of a networking opportunity. And uh, tomorrow's uh, luncheon is being uh, sponsored by Capital Blue at their new Enola store, 4500 Marketplace Way in Enola. And tomorrow's we're talking about Latinos in healthcare. Um, and that's what I wanted to talk about next. Yeah. When we're talking about the challenges facing the Latino community. Um, we know that Latinos, non-Latinos, there are many people in this state and across the country that uh, have just been getting health care through Obamacare. What about uh, some of the challenges the Latinos face in getting health care? You know, um, it's hard to understand healthcare in English in general, right? <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> um, you know, what's deductible? What's a copay? What's coinsurance? Total maximum out of pocket? And, you know, say that three times in a row, right? <laughs> so um, explaining those in Spanish is even a bigger challenge. Um, you know, we get, I cannot tell you the number of phone calls or the number of emails from individuals that are in need of health insurance, and they just don't know where to go or where to start. Um, you know, 
know, a, a, a place where I send them is uh, Capital Blue. Uh, Capital Blue um, is not only a sponsor of Smart Talk, by the way, right. but, you know, they they currently have the internal resources to be able to service those individuals that are looking for insurance. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity of working with uh, one of their customer service reps. Her name is Michelle, um, and she's fully bilingual, you know, and um, the satisfaction that she gets from helping a uh, Spanish uh, candidate, you know, for health insurance is so much more um, fulfilling her job um, that she's helping those folks. All right, let's take a phone call from Daphne in Camp Hill. Daphne, you're on the air. Buenos dias. <laughs> Buenos dias, Daphne. Good morning. I am learning Spanish because I enjoy studying languages on Trindle Road. There's a wonderful Mexican-American teacher, and the Spanish is called the American Spanish Club. He had, they have a regular book and everything. So, I mean, I'm learning Spanish, and other people, other adults are too. It, it's just, you know, you have two or three students at a time. And it's on Trindle Road. <laughs> it's very nice. to Camp Hill, you know. All right. Well, thank you very much for your call. So we have gotten some uh, listeners who providing some information as well. So That's there phenomenal. you go. There That's you awesome. Go. That's great. Right, so we were talking about uh, the challenges facing the Latino community. You mentioned health care. We mentioned employment. What about education? Uh, you know, I, I, I have to admit that I was surprised. You have a map right in front of you. but I uh, do. Um, it's a very colorful map. It right? is very colorful. <laughs> last last week, I saw that uh, the city of Reading, the Reading School District, that eighty two percent of the students in the in the uh, Reading School District are Latino. Now, that that's I mean I knew that Reading had a large Latino population. I did not realize it was that large. What are some of the challenges, education wise, that Latinos are facing? You know, um, a, a lot of the education challenges, for example, um, one of the examples is uh, honestly some of the local school districts, you know, that are calling us for our services, um, you know, such as um, mental health, um, occupational therapy, speech therapy. There are so many services that that Latino student may not be receiving that they were receiving back at home. Um, but a lot of the educational challenges, uh, honestly, Scott, comes into the parents. You know, uh, the report cards don't go home in Spanish. Um, I remember when I used to come home with a pink and say to mom, hey, mom, I'm, I was such a cool kid today. I get to stay after school tomorrow until 4.30. I need you to sign this pink you slip. Were, you know, that, did your mom figure that out after a while? <laughs> she figured it out very quickly. But, you know, there was a disconnect. There was a gap, right, where um, the school districts are not effectively talking to parents, okay? So, therefore, when a parent is not a part of a child's education, can you imagine the things that those parents could potentially be missing out on that are key factors to a success for that young student you know so the disconnect goes way much 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 more far beyond than the actual student it actually goes home let's take a phone call from larry in liverpool larry you're on the air well i was talking to the lady there the screener and i'm not sure if i i hope i don't repeat what you guys just were talking about but uh, my daughter's in her fifth year of spanish and uh, we lived out west and I saw how important it was to uh, for the next generation and, and for me as well to learn a little bit. Uh, it made me a lot of money just by speaking a few things like gratis and um, mucho dinero, you know. <laughs> I, could, I, I made a lot of sales by telling them that it was uh, gratis or this, and they would say, oh, yeah, gratis, and I'd say, okay, you need this. this. And then um, I asked my buddy that was Mexican-American from California, you know what, 
you know, a few key words that would help me. And um, now she's in her fifth year at high school Spanish now. And I asked her to speak Spanish to me once in a while. And she's like, I don't want to do that. I only do it in school because I have to. And I'm trying to tell her how important it's going to be that she could make a lot more money. She could be a translator. She could work for the government. She could work for companies. And she, to her, she just is doing it because she has to do it. And I'm wondering if it would be nice for someone like George or somebody to go into the high schools and tell the kids it's not just something they have to do. It's quite an opportunity it could open up for them. Larry, thank you very much for your call. George? You know, that, that uh, getting Larry's call uh, really just fills my heart with so much joy. Um, I have friends from high school that today their careers would not be a career if they did not speak Spanish. You know, um, I, I, I look at, you know, some of my colleagues in Lancaster. Um, they learn Spanish uh, from studying one hour a day on Rosetta Stone for less than one year. And they speak Spanish better than I do. <laughs> you know, they know where the accents have to go, right? Um, there is... Um, a huge market that will open up to yourself if you are a bilingual candidate, truly. Um, you know, even with what I did, you know, with my previous employer. Um, and I can't tell you the number of job offers that I myself have had. You know, people ask me, George, are you having fun with Latino Connection? Because if you're not, you should close it and come work for us full time, you know. But I'm having too much fun educating people, so um, I can't leave it behind. But, um, Larry, it, uh, what, what, what I ask of you is that you encourage others and tell them your story. And keep calling into radio stations like Smart Talk, you know, because when they hear it from you, it's a true testimonial of how important and what a difference it truly does make uh, to be a bilingual candidate on today's market. The bottom line is, the reality is, is just what we said in the introduction, is the Latino population is growing in this state and growing across the country. There's a segment of the population that don't like that. They don't like to see change, and they fight this kind of change. I mean, we've actually got a few callers here who, uh, you know, I can tell that they're not right on board because they don't want to see that change. But the bottom line is, and the reality is, is that this change is here. It's coming. You know, um, it's, it's very sad for me to be honest with you. Um, one of my favorite books is Who Moved My Cheese, right? Kind of adapting to change. And... Um, there, there are people that don't want to press one for English or press two for Spanish, you know, when they call their local bank. Um, or even when you go to the ATM today, you know, you have to choose your language. It's not just Spanish. But one of my taglines is that Latinos are the new American reality. Um, two out of every five people in the U.S. by 2020, which is right around the corner, not that far, uh, two out of every five will be of Latino and or Hispanic descent. Um, you know, uh, uh, Latinos are broken down into four different segments, according to Nielsen. And Nielsen breaks down uh, Latinos into um, Latinistas, heritage keepers, savvy keepers, and AmeriFans. My mother is more of a Latinista. If you don't cater to her, if you don't market to her in Spanish, which is her primary language, she doesn't give you her dollar. Where I am more of an, of an AmeriFan, I am more likely to watch the Super Bowl first um, before watching a soap opera, you know, on Univision or the Fusion Network or something like that. Um, so it, it, it really is something that we have to embrace because there's no changing it. There's no changing it, Scott. Um, Latinos are the fastest uh, growing uh, minority, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the U.S. Um, it's something that 
it it it's it's just here it's here now and we have to adapt to the changes now you know i'll I'll tell you very quickly um having things um translated into spanish something as small as an hr handbook it may not be important but you know we've gotten phone calls where it's that vp of hr and says George, we may be looking at a possible liability or a liability or a lawsuit because this individual just uh, did something at work and was not aware that he could not do that because the policies were not given to him in Spanish. You know, by 2020, Latino Connection and or a company like the services that we provide will be the it thing to have because the number of population is just growing so fast. I know that there are people out there who are wondering the, the question on the other, the other way around. Does adaptation go both ways? Absolutely. You know, especially for me, I tell my mom all the time, you know, and even my husband, hey, you have to learn how to watch the Super Bowl. Otherwise, you have to leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you are in America and, you know, you have to not just be bilingual. You you actually have to be bicultural. You know, it's living into two cultures at once. You know, it's not eating the rice and the beans, you know, and the panil and the roasted pork every day. What about a chicken? that sounds good. That does sound very good. (laughs) I wish you could eat it every day. But it's also about, um, you know, uh, going to Philadelphia and going to you know Jim's cheesesteak, you know, or going to downtown Harrisburg and you know having chicken wings at Arugas or you know uh, something at Cafe Fresco, you know my favorite restaurant. And it, it 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 is about living in both cultures at once. And I truly believe that the Latino culture wants to learn the American culture, and they want their kids to grow up in a bicultural world, not just one. George Fernandez is the founder and CEO, a very passionate one of the Latino Connection. And we will have that uh, website on uh, our website, WITF.org, the latinoconnection.net. George, thank you very much for your for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. A group of graphic art students from the Pennsylvania School of Art and Design in Lancaster are working on a project that will give them experience while assisting some area nonprofit organizations. It's called Designathon. And joining us to talk about it is uh, Pam Barbie, who is chair of the graphic design department at the Pennsylvania College of Art and Design. Ms. Barbie, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. Also joining us is Avery Rose, who is a participating student. Uh, Avery, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you. All right, let me start with Designathon itself. Uh, Pam Barbie, what is uh, Designathon? Designathon, in our eighth year here at Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, is a 24 hour event where students, faculty, and this year for the first time, uh, Central PA, AIGA members, uh, join us in producing design work for nonprofits um, in our region. Now, when you say designing uh, design work for nonprofits, uh, what kind of design work are, are the students doing? Oh, my gosh. Uh, so many things. Anything from websites, and those students will code all night to get those done, to um, we've done annual reports in the past, uh, branding and logo design, brochures, flyers, posters, uh, you name it, uh, over the past eight years, we've probably <clears throat> done a little bit of everything, even some motion uh, graphics. Okay, motion graphics. Explain that, if you will. Um, anything to promote an event that requires motion, uh, type and visual, sometimes sound, that produce a moving image. 
And, you know, we're so used to seeing this t today. Uh, you know, it, it started on television, but on websites nowadays, if you didn't see motion, uh, you know, you would think, okay, what's wrong with this website? Is it uh, circa 2004 or something like that? The right. technology has really changed, and it has changed uh, graphic arts forever, hasn't it? Yes, definitely. In what ways? Well, you know, okay, let's say 30 years ago when I started, it was all print-based. You know, and, and that was the direction, um, you know, I, I grew up and, and worked with. Now the students are really required to be, I'd say, multiple disciplinary artists. Um, you know, they, they, their job description is not just, oh, graphic designer. They want a whole slew of uh, software criteria and um, background information that is not like anything I've ever had to experience. And, and Avery might be able to elaborate on that better than myself because he's in the midst of it right now and, and going through it in all his classes. Well, Avery, let's talk about that. Uh, now, you're probably uh, young enough that you don't remember the 30 years ago that, uh, <laughs> that Pam Barbie was talking about. But e even in the time you've been in school and that you've been working as a graphic artist, how's it changed? Uh, yeah, well, like Pam said, uh, multiple disciplinary um, and sometimes that even extends into marketing uh, I know right now I have courses in social media and marketing um, and sometimes companies uh, will look at that as a um, possible hire for graphic designers okay so explain a little bit more because a lot of what you're talking about may be new to our audience when uh, <clears throat> there's so many people who are on Facebook uh, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, but how do uh, how does graphic arts uh, become part of the social media landscape? Well, um, with a brand, uh, that brand needs to extend into all aspects of that company's image, um, whether it be social media, website, um, but especially in their logo and, uh, like Pan said, motion graphics. You know, talking about logos in particular, Many people who have not worked in a in a at a place where a new logo was being developed, I don't know. I, I get the feeling that a lot of people think, ah, you uh, you sit down one day, takes you a couple hours, and you you come up with a new logo. A little more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I think we both experienced that. <laughs> like in what way? Um, I'll, I'll start. I know for myself that was a perception a long time ago, but now. Um, it is a brand, it's, you know, more than just that mark. It's the entire perception that, you know, the client, you know, is experiencing from that brand. You know, you look at Target and you instantly see the Target mark, but it's also a, a perception of what type of products they sell and, and what they're doing to promote themselves. <clears throat> Avery, what about uh, coming up with a logo? How much of a challenge? Um, it is quite a challenge. I mean, a lot of research goes into uh, the company, uh, what, they're, what they want their image to be to the public. Um, and then more on the research side as well is looking at uh, what companies already have, like what existing brands um, are doing, um, and much, either basing it off or totally changing it up. 
How, how much input do you get from a company that uh, is changing their, their logo, for example, or changing their brand? I mean, because I imagine that with a new logo, with a logo, there's much more to it if it is a brand than, than just a different logo. But how much uh, information, background information, do you get from a company saying, this is what we would like to see? Well, I could start I by saying. Go ahead, Avery. Go ahead. Oh, well, I could start by saying that it depends on the company, mm-hmm. um, and it depends on how much <clears throat> they understand what we need from them. I, yeah. I have to agree with that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes they want to be really involved, and especially when it's a rebrand of their current mark. Um, some of them are very attached to that. You know, depending, you know, who who created that mark, whether it was a you know, a cousin or a nephew, you know, or, or the, like the Nike logo. It was a student um, who developed that logo and marketing. You know, she got $35 to do that logo in the day. And uh, um, how that, how is such a brand and mark now, um, you know, people want to get involved and, and be part of the process. And, and we do that with the students as well. Um, you know, there's, we create mood boards you know, things that inspire us or things that we do, you know, learn about the company. Not everybody gives it right on a, you know, plate. You know, here, here's everything. A lot of that is left to the designer to research and develop. Um, so it becomes more of just a, a pretty object or a, a beautiful object. It, there's a lot of thought and concept behind it. Pam, you just mentioned some of the iconic brands out there, uh, Target, uh, Nike. Uh, You know, I think about some of the others, uh, Toyota, you know, some of those. What are some of your favorite brands, logos, and I don't know, maybe uh, without uh, naming names, you can tell me the kind that you don't care for or you don't (laughs) think that you don't think. favorite brands or logos? Oh, my goodness. Um, just personally, I, I look at fashion brands, um, and I guess Nike would be one in that realm or sports. Um, but so many, oh gosh, I can't even think off the top of my head. I mean, ones that I don't like, they're usually not big nationally recognized brands. Um, there's something, there's so many sources online now that you can get a logo for $99, and, and they look it. Um, <laughs> they look it. Uh, <laughs> you get what you pay for. Yeah, so maybe, Avery, do you have any right off the top of your head? Um, well, I know in class we discussed logo systems and yeah. um, brands that tend to use that, <clears throat> like um, the big one would be MTV and now Google. Um, we discussed Hillary Clinton's new logo. Uh, yeah. What about, Hil- what about Hillary Lo- uh, Clinton's uh, new logo? What well, was, if you look at it, it has that it has the arrow going through the logo, and it was designed by Michael Beirut Pentagram. And if you look at that arrow, it changes depending on um, maybe the season or where she is, where where she's located for the day, or what's going on. You know, it, it becomes like a trendy icon within the H mark. And many logo systems like Nickelodeon or MTV, that logo, that the initial mark is there, but it changes. Like Google does it very frequently on, on their website. Yeah, That's they do. A, a trend in, in logo design. Is that a good thing? I, I think so. It keeps it interesting. You know, um, I think the current um, market and generation, they want, that con- they want that change. They want to keep it interesting and, and fluid like that, that it's not... I mean, we, the iconic CBS brand, really, that mark has never really changed. 
um, over the years. And uh, designer Paul Rand, you know, that, that has stayed the same. But they do add some, you know, other graphics to uh, enhance it or change it depending on the trends um, going on in the industry. We're talking about the Design-a-thon, which is, uh, it's the eighth Design-a-thon, uh, Pennsylvania School of Art and Design in Lancaster. Talking with Pam Barbie, who is chair of the Graphic Design Department at the Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, and Avery Rose, who is a participating student. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, Pam, let's talk a little bit about uh, how this all came together. We touched on it a little bit, but design and I, and I have to ask this question: the eight there are eight nonprofits that are participating this year. The, oh, nine, nine, nine. Okay, yeah. uh, so the nine, uh, the work that the students are doing, is this something that is all done for free? Is there any money exchanged? How does it no, work? Oh, yeah, it's the only exchange I require is food to feed us for the twenty. And we all need that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Um, no. No exchange of currency of any sort. Um, we just do it because, you know, it's, it's a great way to let everyone know the work we do enhances the value and deepens the impact of design. And I think a lot of people take that for granted. You know, oh, I have this computer and I, and I can set up this newsletter in Word. It's a lot more than that. And, you know, I can attest for that, you know, based on the experience I've seen over the last 11 years at the college, what the students produce and how they grow and develop um, a real sense of design and, and strength in that. Now, some of the previous design-a-thons, uh, mm -hmm. the nonprofits that you work with, I assume that uh, many of them are still using uh, the work that the students came up with? Some, yeah. Some are just like a once-and-done thing, like an annual report. Okay, they might have used our template or were inspired by it. Um, some working websites. Um, a lot of them, for them, it's you know, taking it the next step and, and either printing pieces or, you know, getting the website up and running, that, that would come on their end and it's sometimes difficult for them to find the funds or resources to move forth with some of that. So, Avery, talk about your experience. What kind of experience are you getting out of this? Um, well, I mean, it's a fun experience in general, just staying up for 24 hours and doing uh, what I'm passionate about, uh, graphic design. Um, but it is also a nice way to give back to the community that I'm a part of. I mean, uh, Pennsylvania College of Art and Design doesn't necessarily have a campus, so our city kind of becomes the campus. Um, and it's a nice way to give back uh, to that. So uh, do you come up with better designs uh, the first hours of the 24 hours? Or <laughs> once you've uh, relaxed a little bit and uh, at hour 20 you come up with something better? <laughs> um it's hard to say. I mean, we're kind of coming up with ideas and continuing working for 24 hours or until we get an idea and then we just have to roll with it because we're on a time limit. All right. We have a phone call from Liz in Lancaster. Liz, you're on the air. Hi. Yes. How are you? I'm doing well. I've actually, I wanted to call in because um, I work for a no local nonprofit in Lancaster, Junior Achievement, and we've had the absolute pleasure of interacting with Pam's class uh, as they create, uh, every year I have a competition to create an invitation for our fundraising gala. And uh, this year, Avery actually won it. So I just wanted to speak towards the level of really creativity and professionalism that the students have. We've 
participated in the design-a-thon, and what they put out is phenomenal, and the opportunity they provide to the community with the design-a-thon is great. Hey, Liz, I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> my, my guess is they, they are very happy to hear that. Thank you very much for calling in. No problem. Thank you. Pam, that has to make you uh, pretty satisfied. Absolutely. Um, it's just very rewarding, the, you know, those sorts of experiences in the classroom, but design-a-thon, uh, you know, First of all, we're so dead tired by that 24th hour that, you know, it becomes very emotional, not only for us, but for the nonprofits. They can't believe that, you know, that we put this, you know, much time and into a piece that is so valued to them. And, uh, you know, we've had participants crying and not only the students, but, you know, the nonprofits as well. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a good good thing for everyone. When is it this year? It will be Friday, February 19th, and we'll start at 6 o'clock and ends on Saturday, February 20th, around 6. And is there an opportunity for the public to see uh, what they came up with after that 24 hours? Well, we're, we do post it on the website very shortly after, so it will, all the work will be up on the website. Um, we haven't had invited the, the community in, um, but we will be starting at 4 o'clock on Saturday in our atrium giving uh, the nine presentations to the organizations. And um, if you're in town, stop by. Where, now, where is that? Uh, that would be on Prince Street, uh, 204 North Prince Street. And the front entrance, there's a guard, and the, our gallery is located right there. So you can stop and see the gallery ahead of time, or you know, we'll be right off the gallery entrance. Avery, I'm curious. I have a couple of personal questions for you. Where do you often find the creative inspiration for your artwork? Um, <clears throat> well, a lot of the time that depends as well on um, what the project is. Um, but I often look to uh, other designers in the field that uh, whose work I find personally inspiring. Um, like who? I know I'm, <clears throat> I'm a personal fan of uh, Stephen Sagmeister. Um, last year, I got to see uh, James Victor speak, uh, Aaron Drapson speak, um, and they're all uh, great inspiration to continue work. Now, are there um, are your are there themes that you find most compelling in design today? Themes. Themes, yeah. Or like trends. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I would find <clears throat> themes or trends kind of compelling. I mean, trends kind of tend to like fizzle out after a while. So if you're creating something, um, you don't want it to fizzle out after a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, other than that, I don't, I'm not really sure what kind of trends I, if I follow any. What's the process you use uh, when you're starting to work? Um, well, research one, uh, research into the company, <clears throat> into... Uh, well, there's a lot of questions that are involved as well, like what kind of uh, image are they looking for? <clears throat> and based on those questions, I can move forward and looking into inspiration, creating a mood board, um, kind of mapping out what um, collateral they need. Mm. Uh, Pam, Barbie, uh, we only have about 30, <clears throat> 30 seconds left. I want to thank uh, both of you for being with us today. But Pam, you know, big question, and I don't know if you can do this in 30 seconds or less. Difference between art and design, if any? Uh, I, I can't say I see any difference. I mean, I know I got in it because I love art. I love to draw. 
and it's expanded into such a great field now as graphic design. We're, we're partners, art and design. Mm. Designathon at the Pennsylvania School of Art and Design in Lancaster uh, uh, this weekend, Friday into Saturday, 24 hours. Looking forward to seeing the, the presentations on Saturday. Pam Barbie and Avery Rose, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have a real treat. Get to talk to uh, Diane Ream. Uh, that's coming up on uh, tomorrow's Smart Talk.